Greetings to all my tech heads out there in the Kev Techify Nation. And if you're new here, welcome. In this episode, we're going to look at internet based connectivity options. We'll be discussing DSL technology, DSL connections, DSL and PPP, cable technology, optical fiber, wireless internet based broadband, VPN technology, and finally, we're going to look at a broadband solution comparison. This episode is part of my series on enterprise networking, security, and automation. I'm Kevin here at Kev Techify. Let's get this adventure started. Internet-based connectivity options can be divided into wired and wireless technologies. The wired options, you're gonna use permanent cabling like copper wire, fiber wire to provide a consistent bandwidth, reduce error rates. These technologies are DSL, cable, optical fiber. Wireless options are typically less expensive to implement compared to other WAN connectivity options because they use radio waves. They don't have to have those physical wires, permanent cabling installed. Examples would be cellular technologies and satellite internet. Environmental factors, they can affect your wireless communications. The distance between your two wireless points, the more distance there is, there's probably going to be less throughput, higher air rates. So you're going to have to send that over. Could be interference from other sources. If you're using wireless in the machine shop, a lot of times the electric motors on the machine send out an EM, EMF signal that will interfere with those radio signals. Weather can interfere with radio signals. And so wireless does have some uh, issues you need to think about when you think about using them. DSL is one of those wired technologies. DSL is a digital subscriber line. It's an always on connection. It uses the existing twisted pair between you and your internet service provider. That's that same old phone line that has been installed for a number of years. What they do is they take the existing phone line and they put higher signals on there than what the human can hear. When we look here, the normal POTS line, POTS stands for plain old telephone service, they use from a about zero to 4,000 kilohertz. And so that's where the normal telephone operates when they send their signals. DSL goes from about 26 all the way up to about 1,000 kilohertz. And so it's a much higher signal than that telephone uses. And that's why if you ever get a DSL line in your house, you have to put a special adapter in to filter out the signals, depending upon if you're going towards the networking data side of the phone line, or if you're going towards the voice phone line. Now DSL can be categorized either as ADSL. That's what this is right here, ADSL or SDSL. Most of the time you're going to see ADSL. ADSL has a much higher downstream than it is upstream, meaning you can download faster. If you look at this chart, you can see that the upstream or the upload goes from 26 to 138. What, about 110 kilohertz of frequencies? Where 
if you're looking at the downloading, it goes from 138, goes all the way up to 1100 kilohertz. So that's almost, what is that? 900 kilohertz of range. So there's much more bandwidth in the downstream. That's what ADLS is. You have a lot more download than upload. You can also get into what we call an A or SDSL. And this is symmetric here. So this is symmetric, meaning you have the same upload and download speeds. Typically, an end user, a home end user, consumer needs the ADSL because they download a lot more than they upload. If you're a business, you may want to look into the SDSL. DSL transfer rates are dependent on the actual length of that local loop, that last mile. The further you are, from that DSL router in the central office, the slower your speed is gonna be. So if you live right next to where that DSL router is, you're gonna get a lot higher speeds than if you live several miles away. Service providers, they deploy DSL connections in the local loop. The connection is set up between the DLS modem and the DSLAM. DSLAM here stands for DSL access multiplexer this dsl access multiplexer that's where several dsl modems connect into and so your provider sets up this connection right here sets up this connection the last mile connection into the dsl this dsl modem changes the ethernet signal from inside your house to a DSL signal. And so this modem converts between these two modems change signal types. And so from here, we change from a DSL to ethernet or ethernet to DSL, depending upon which way traffic is going. And once it gets transmitted into the DSL, it then gets delivered into our DSLAM or DSL access multiplexer. This DSL is located in the central office of your provider and it concentrate, concentrates connections from multiple DSL users. And so in this DSLAM, you could have another user here. You could have user two. You could have user three connected in here. All using DSL to connect in. DSL. DSL is not a shared medium. And so this connection between you and your house through your modem, through that last local loop, all the way up to the DSLAM is not a shared connection. There'll be no other people using that bandwidth. Now, what a lot of people don't tell you is, once it gets into the DSLAM, it all becomes shared bandwidth. So user one, two, and three, they're all gonna share this bandwidth. So if the connection going into the DSLAM is a slow connection, you're, you're going to be sharing that slow connection with three different users, but each of you have your dedicated connection into the DSLAM. And so it does come down to a shared connection, but not directly. And so that a lot of times people will say DSL is your own connection in. It's not a shared connection, which is a true statement, but you have to look one step further. That DSLAM then turns everything into that shared connection. ISPs use... 
PPP, point-to-point -point protocol, is a layer two protocol for our broadband DSL connections. Point-to-point -point protocol, PPP, can be used to authenticate the subscriber. And so we use PPP to basically log in on your DSL connection. They can assign IP addresses, IP version four addresses to the subscriber. So that way they can get traffic routed to them. And this PPP provides link quality management features. Most of the time the client doesn't necessarily see that, but the people operating that DSLAM, they control that. So your internet service provider of your DSL connection, they're gonna see those management features. Now there's two ways to do this. One method is where this point-to-point -point over Ethernet software is, that's point-to-point -point over Ethernet, is the software that uses the point-to-point -point connection with Ethernet to get your DSL connection to work. That can be either on a host here, so this would be the host connection with it, or you could use it on a router. That would be the other option. Now, how does your how do you decide which way to do that? If it's just a single person connecting into your office, maybe it's a remote user, you may want to look at using this host there. And so the point-to-point -point over Ethernet software communicates with the DSL modem, and that modem communicates with the ISP using point-to-point. -point. When having your router with that point-to-point -point over Ethernet software, what happens is, is the router actually gets the configuration from your provider, and that provider then provides a configuration and they connect up, your host doesn't have to run that software. A lot of times, this is what you're going to see. Because your provider is providing the setup here, you don't have to worry about any configurations, and if there's a problem, it's your provider's fault and they need to call them up. So your remote workers, they would call the internet provider they're using for their DSL connection to, to get their connection fixed. You don't have to worry about those settings. Cable technology is another high-speed, always-on connection. It uses a coaxial cable, like think cable TV. It's the same connection there. And it uses what we call DOCSIS. D-O-C-S-I-S. DOCSIS is Data Over Cable Service Interface Specification. Data Over Cable Service Inter Interface Specification. And this is an international standard for adding high-speed bandwidth to an existing cable system. Think about that. Existing cable systems came out a long time ago. They provided the cable TV that we're used to watching over these cable systems. And then what they had to do is figure out, well, how do we get high-speed data across there? And this is where that DOCSIS protocol comes in. How this cable technology works is you have a cable modem here. This cable modem changes this DOCSIS coaxial line into typically an Ethernet copper connection. That Ethernet copper connection you can then plug into your network. This cable modem is usually supplied by your ISP, your cable provider. You plug a coaxial cable into it. That coaxial cable comes into this optical node here. You can think of this optical node as installed in a subdivision or an industrial park. And 
all the cable users connect into that. So cable user one connects into the cable user two connects into it. Cable three user connects into it. They all connect into this. Then from this optical node, a lot of times fiber is ran from your neighborhood, from your industrial park to this CMTS cable modem terminal or termination service. This is sort of, you can almost envision this as a trunk line and this cable modem uh, terminal service, because it's fiber in here, we can set this up a long distance away. And this, this cable modem terminal service here contains what we would call a head end. This head end has the databases needed to provide internet access for your customers, what speed they're doing, the, the, um, how much you're billing and that type of stuff. And also it provides the information and the configuration for your cable modems and allows that to, to be configured remotely. Now people say this is a shared connection and it's true. This is a shared connection. All local subscribers sh share that same cable bandwidth. As more users join the service, the available bandwidth may drop below expected rates. That's why you typically don't get a lot of service level agreements using cable technology. Now in recent years, uh, cable, cable internet providers have started providing businesses with uh, service level agreements, guaranteeing them certain levels of throughput, certain bandwidth, certain amount of uptime. But you do have to pay quite a bit for that. If you're liking this episode on internet-based connectivity options and you're getting value out of it, and depending upon what platform you're using, please click that like button, give a five-star rating, subscribe to my channel, leave a comment. Doing this supports the channel, which in turn helps me bring you more great content. You can also visit my website at kevtechify.com for all of my details and how to get. We see optical fiber being deployed in a lot of places nowadays, a lot of different cities or towns and different providers have been installing fiber optics to give higher speeds to their customers. Private companies have done it. Cities have done that. And you can kind of classify these fibers in different types of installation methods. One is fiber to the home, where the fiber is ran all the way from the, their central office all the way up into the edge of your home. And that's to the point of the their point of demarcation again. They'll run it all the way up to your home. So you get high speed all the way up to your home fiber. And a lot of times you're looking at gig download speeds that you can get through these fiber connections. So that's fiber to the home. Fiber to the building is a lot of times used for industries or apartment buildings where there's a high concentrations of users in there and they'll run fiber to that building. And then once it hits that building, the person responsible for the network then can deliver the internet as needed. If you don't have fiber to the home where you live, a lot of times you're going to have fiber to the neighborhood or to the node. And that is sort of, you can think of that as the main trunk fiber that comes into your neighborhood. And then it runs into some sort of 
device and then from that device they will connect all the homes up to that you'll get really high speeds up until that device and then you'll get high speed because you're going to share it with everybody else to all the homes in your network or neighborhood wireless technology uses the unlicensed radio spectrum to send and receive data this is one of the newest most growing areas for internet access, especially high-speed internet access there is out there. Municipal Wi-Fi is a lot of times offered by cities and they provide Wi-Fi sometimes for free or at a highly reduced rate compared to other broadband services to the people of their city, to the visitors. Then we have cellular, cellular broadband. This is high speed data delivery using your cellular devices. Over the last couple of years, we have heard 4G and now even 5G are looking at being broadband replacements for internet to your home. These technologies have advanced depending upon who your provider is. You can a lot of times get up to 10, 20, 50 meg download speeds through these technologies. Now, it's increasingly used to connect these devices. And anywhere you get a good cellular signal, you can get good broadband connections. Next one is the satellite internet. Now, this is typically used in rural areas or in remote locations where cable or DSL isn't available. A router connects to a serial or a router connects to a satellite dish pointed to the service provider satellite in the sky. It can be affected by trees and heavy rain. But in the last year or so, the satellite internet has become very exciting. Starlink has been launching lots of satellites to give broadband access kind of anywhere in the world. And from what I've seen, they're delivering some decent speeds, at least speeds faster or as fast as what you can normally get where you're at in a rural location, but at a much significant lower price. And they're promising to increase bandwidth as they get more satellites up there, they get more capacity. So this is going to be pretty interesting to see how this satellite internet is going to play out. Is it going to be truly a broadband replacement for traditional broadbands like DSL and cable and optical? Or is it just going to be where there, where those other services aren't available? And so this is something that else to pay attention to. Another wireless technology is what we call WiMAX. Now, this is the worldwide interoperability for microwave access. And it's described by an IEEE standard of 802.16. And it provides high-speed bandwidth here with wireless access and broad coverage like a cell phone network rather than using Wi-Fi hotspots. And so... This is a last mile delivery system where a provider would run some sort of hardwired copper fiber to a location to this WiMAX transmitter. And then they would transmit the signal out for the last couple of miles to be delivered to the customer. They don't have to run these wires to all these different customers. They could be spread out where it's not economically feasible to run fiber to the house or cable but you get high speed bandwidth. And so WiMAX is, 
is definitely another interesting um, alternative to our broadband broadband connectivity nowadays. As we look at our wide area networks, we also need to talk a little bit about VPN technologies. Now, VPNs can be used to address security concerns incurred while we have remote office workers using these publicly accessible broadband connections to access your resources on your private or on your company network. A VPN is a connection between two private networks that travel over a public network. A lot of times we call these tunnels. These tunnels are routed through the internet from a private network to another private network. A lot of times it's like from the company to a remote worker, from one company location to another company location. You wanna encrypt the traffic between those two locations. Now, several benefits here of using a VPN is a cost saving. It eliminates expensive and dedicated WAN links and modem banks. A lot of times when companies had to have these remote workers connecting in, they used to have banks of modems and people would dial into these banks of modems and make their connections. You don't have to have that anymore. You don't have to have these expensive wide area networks that we used to have. It has security, advanced encryption and authentication protocols, protect the data from unauthorized access. Corporations, they can add large amounts of capacity without adding significant infrastructure for scalability. And it's supported by broadband service providers such as DSL and cable. And a lot of times it's independent of those services. As long as they have an internet connection, they could connect their VPN from their device to your network as long as they had that internet connection. There are a couple ways you can commonly implement this. One is a site-to-site VPN, where you have two sites and that VPN is set up between your two edge devices. And that VPN automatically in encrypts and decrypts data as it travels from one device to another, travels through that VPN tunnel. Your end users will never know it went through that VPN tunnel because the routers have taken care of it. You can have a remote access VPN and your user is aware of this because they have to run a software that establishes that VPN connection and that would allow them to connect into the network. It, it looks like they're right there directly connected into your network because of how that VPN technology works. There are different ways an organization can connect to an ISP. The choice depends on the needs and the budget of the organization. A lot of times what we see is the single homed one where you have your client connected up to the ISP. You have one connection, you're connected to one ISP. This could be your home user. A lot of us at home, we have just one connection to one internet service provider and that's all we have. If you're a smaller company with not not a big budget, maybe this is your choice. Maybe your company doesn't rely a lot on internet connectivity, which is a rare company nowadays, but having that single homed ISP could be the solution for you. You could have a dual homed, where this dual homed, you have two connections to the same ISP. 
Now, what does that dual home give you? It gives you two links. It provides both redundancy. So if one of the links goes down, you still have another one up. It gives you load balancing. So you can load between these and it gives you more bandwidth because you have two connections. You have twice the bandwidth to do that. So if you need a faster connection, having getting two cable modems, getting two DSL lines might be a solution for you. The downfall here is Yes, you do get the redundancy. If one of your lines goes down, one of your modems goes down, you can still connect. But what if your ISP loses internet connectivity for some reason and it goes down? Can your company survive with that? Some companies, they can survive for four or six, eight hours without an internet connection. Other companies, financial companies, hospitals, they can't survive with that. And so even a dual homed won't get them the, the solution they need. You could go with a multi-homed. Now with multi-homed, you connect into multiple ISPs. You're the client and you have one connection to ISP one, you have a second connection to ISP two. You're gonna have two separate contracts. You're gonna have two separate devices. You're gonna deal with two separate tech people when you go and you get your connections set up when you have to troubleshoot something you're going to have two different companies you have to deal with the advantage here is you have redundancy if one of the connections goes down another one take over you have more bandwidth because now you have two connections you add up those two speeds and that's your total internet speed you can load balance between them and the other advantage compared to the dual home is if one of your isps goes down if ISP one, one goes down, ISP two will still have your connection. Now you're gonna be limited to only the bandwidth from ISP two, but you are not down, you are still up. And then finally, we have the most redundant, the fastest, and of course the most expensive option here is the dual multi-homed where we do multi-home, you have ISP1 and ISP2, but then we have two connections, or you have multiple connections to each ISP. That gives you redundancy of connection level to each ISP. Also gives you connections where if one of your ISPs goes down, the other one is still there to take over it. Now, this is definitely the most resilient of the four options here. The client connects with multiple links, so you're going to need special hardware on your end. But it is definitely the most expensive. Each broadband solution has advantages and disadvantages. If there are multiple broadband solutions in your area, a cost versus benefit analysis should be performed. Now, if you only have one broadband solution provider in your area, well, you're kind of stuck into that. But if you live in an area where there's multiple of them, you can look and, and see what's the best ones for you. Looking at the speed, looking at the uptime, service level agreements, what the price is. Not all connections are created equal. They all have different factors. Cable modem, the bandwidth is shared by many users. Therefore, your upstream data rates are often slow during peak hours. They often oversell. 
if they have the ability to have a certain amount of bandwidth on that cable modem, they'll often sell more than more than what's available. They'll oversubscribe to it. DSL has limited bandwidth. That is distance sensitive, meaning the further you are away from that DSLAM, the slower your connection is going to be. But once that connection hits the DSLAM, you are having a shared connection there. Fiber to the home, it requires the fiber to be installed there. So not everybody can get that. Only certain cities, only certain companies provide something like that. You do get higher, higher speeds with it. Cellular and mobile, with this option, coverage is often an issue. You got to make sure you have a good cell signal. But with the newer technologies, with 5G coming out, you could consider this as a broadband replacement. Often, cellular is limited to the amount of data you can send. And so make sure you look at the details on that. You only get so many gigs per month. Or do you get so many gigs at a high speed and then after you reach that limit, you get put down to a lower speed? Make sure you know the details of that. We have a municipal Wi-Fi. Most municipalities don't offer something like this. Sometimes they do. And if they do, a lot of times it's a mesh network and it's pretty, pretty neat. As long as you're in range of that network, it might be a great solution for you. Businesses typically don't run on that. Residentials, because of the price, a lot of times residences will choose to use something like the municipal Wi-Fi system. And then we have satellites. Traditionally, this has been an expensive option. Limited up, upload and download speeds. Usually only used when there's no other options available. You live out in the rural reaches of the country. There's no cable service out by you. DSL won't reach out by you. There's no other broadband available. Satellite has been the go-to. But in recent years, in the last year or so, Starlink has been doing some very interesting things where they're starting to look at offering decent high speeds for an acceptable cost compared to other solutions. And so satellite solutions may be a way to go. If it's not a solution now, maybe you come back in a year or two and reevaluate satellite for your solution. It might be the solution that you come up with and say, hey, this is the best one that's going to work for our company. It was my pleasure to provide you with this wonderful episode on internet-based connectivity options. If you like this episode and you got value out of it, and of course, depending upon what platform you're using, please click that like button, give a five-star rating, leave a comment. This all helps me bring you more great content. Please take a minute to subscribe to my channel. All of my socials and contact information are on my website, kevtechify.com. In the upper right is my playlist for my series on enterprise networking, security, and automation. In the bottom right is one of my favorite videos that I linked just for you. Thank you so much for watching this episode of my series on enterprise networking, security, and automation. Once again, I'm Kevin. This is Kev Techify. I'll see you next time for another great adventure.